Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rail Group On Air, presented by Railway Age and Railway Track and Structures magazines and International Railway Journal. I'm your host, Bill Wilson, and I am the editor-in-chief of RTNS Magazine, and welcome to another podcast. This is Rail Group On Air. Hello everyone, this is Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Track and Structures Media. Hope everyone is having a great day. In this episode of Rail Group on Air, we will be going over the annual RTNS State of the Industry Survey. I'm going to go over some of the key questions and responses, and then we'll give a talk to Chuck Baker, who is the President of the American Shortline and Regional Railroad Association, and Nate Irby, the executive director of the Railway Tie Association. Both men have some great things to say about their markets. I know the short line industry is very excited about President Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And the Railway Tie Association, Cross Tie, and Sawmillers out there, I know they have a challenge ahead of them, but I'm sure they will work its way through. So those two gentlemen will be coming up. But first, let's go through some key questions and answers in our State of the Industry Survey. When asked, what is the health of your business today? 56.69% of respondents said good, while 21.26% said excellent. When asked, how was 2021 as a business year for your company? 45.67% said good, while 19.69% said excellent. So despite COVID, despite the supply chain issues, despite labor shortages, it appears that the maintenance of oil industry is still very firm on its feet and is actually having some success. So that's good to see. How do you think 2022 will be as a business year for your company? We also asked that to our survey takers and... Not surprisingly, 58.27% said 2022 will be good, while 24.41% said it would be excellent. And I might say this was before President Biden signed his $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. So all good signs for the maintenance of waste sector. We also asked if their company would be spending more or less on maintenance of way activities in 2022 compared to 2021. And 47.06% said they will be spending more, while 42.02% said it would be flat. We also asked what maintenance of way activities will you be spending money on in 2022? And I'm just going to go over some of the categories that received most of the votes. As far as when we're talking about they will be spending more than in 2021. And those categories are bridge maintenance. We have 28, just over 28% said that they will be spending more in 2022. Grade crossing services, 23.85% said they will be spending more. Special track work, 23.15% said they will be spending more in 2022. And we also have safety, 
39.81% said more, cross ties, 29.91% said more, and ditching and drainage, 26.61% said they will be spending more in 2022 compared to 2021. Well, that's a look at some of the key questions and responses from our survey. Now I'm going to turn the program over to the real newsmakers, and that's our experts in the industry. First up, we have Chuck Baker. Again, Baker is president of the American Shortline and Regional Railroad Association, and he will be followed up by Nate Irby, who is the executive director of the Railway Tie Association. So, Chuck, talk about this year for shortliners. What kind of year was it? How would you describe it? You know, overall, I'd say uh, I'd say pretty well. Um, you know, the, the obviously 2020 is a long time ago at this point, but it still feels very. You know, you kind of got to start with the pandemic, but I, I think past like the immediate you know month or two of incredible sort of disruptions with customers and everyone sort of trying to figure out the new world. Um, Freight railroading and short lines, you know, recovered pretty quickly through summer and fall of 2020 and 2021 has kind of continued nicely. I, I, business is up overall across the industry a little bit in 2021. Obviously, there's still, you know, I, I guess the world's always been like this, but it feels even more so in 2021. There's things that are always surprising you, right? Like coal somewhat surprisingly to a lot of people is actually up this year. Autos are way down this year because of the weird supply chain, you know, semiconductor chip shortage. Um, but in general, you know, across um, and, you know, in grain and that kind of stuff is actually down just compared to last year because last year was such an epic uh, harvest and kind of grain and ag movement year. But overall across like the broad spectrum of short line movements business is up a little bit and short lines have been kind of head down grind through it like do what they've always done right like focus on their focus on their customers focus on one car load at a time grow business where you can you know do as great of a job as possible serving your serving your customers you know work with your class ones on as their networks and design plans change, making sure you're staying flexible and adaptable and working with that. And it's, it's gone pretty well. What have, what have you heard from your members in terms of, in terms of capital projects? Uh, were they able to do the projects and the maintenance that they wanted to do this year? You know, look, it, short lines are always short of money. Um, in addition to being short, short lines, they're, they're always short of money. Um, so not a single one of my 600 members is able to do everything they want. But overall, as an industry, they were able to continue to reinvest, you know, a huge percent of their revenue back into infrastructure. We, we believe it's about 25% of revenue going back into infrastructure kind of on average across the industry. Um, they, they've been able to execute those projects. Um, a lot of short line projects are relatively kind of small and relatively kind of simple track rehab and maintenance projects. So they're not typically caught up in 
years long of permit delays and that kind of thing. So they're able to kind of make progress every day and notch a bunch of wins. And, you know, there continued to be sort of a normal amount for 2021 of federal and state grants that helped them do some of their bigger projects. And also, of course, 45G was in place for all of 2021. You know, it got finalized right at the end of December 2020, made permanent. So people knew they had it, you know, throughout the year for 2021. So yeah, everyone was able to kind of continue doing what they needed. I think on the capital and maintenance side, as we look forward, it starts to get really, really exciting for 2022, 2023, 2024, you know, as like the major money from the uh, infrastructure bill starts to come into play. Um, but, you know, that obviously just got signed by the president um, less than a month ago. So, and none of those programs are out on the street yet. So none of that is really um, in effect yet in 2021. Tell me what kind of impact that that month from the new from the infrastructure bill is going to have on shoreline. Yeah, I, I, we think it's going to be a big deal. Um, it, it's um, you know, short lines have always between their own between the revenue that they earn and reinvest and 45G over the last 15 years, short lines have really been able to do a pretty great job of getting closer to a state of good repair, keeping their track in good shape, replacing lots and lots of ties, you know, more ties than they would otherwise be able to without 45G um, and kind of doing, you know, preserving track and maintaining it. But there's still a huge list of kind of big projects out there, whether it's rail replacements, you know, upgrading from 80 or 90 pound rail up to 136 pound rail or, you know, getting from 263,000 pound capable to 286 capable um, or bridge replacements. You know, there's plenty of 80, 90, 100, 110 year old bridges out there. There's a bunch of those kind of big projects that have just been sitting on the to-do list, but are just have always felt a little bit out of reach, right? Because like, we just can't financially justify them. And, and we are really excited that the amount of money that's going to be made available through not only Chrissy, but Ray's infra and the new grade separation program and hopefully increase state grant projects, state grant programs is going to allow short lines to do some of those bigger projects. So it kind of leads me into my next question as far as what you think 2022 is going to look like. I mean, obviously we're going to see some of that money in 2022, do you think? Uh, and then just as the industry, as short line industry as a whole, how do you think 2022 is going to play out? Well, so, I mean, on the on the question of all the federal and state grant money, you, I, I think we'll start to see, you know, hopefully by early 2022, we'll see those grant programs open and you'll see applications start to go in and hopefully we'll start to see awards, you know, uh, towards summer and fall of 2022. Um, you know, you'll 
how many kind of shovels are in the ground by the end of 2022 on some of these bigger projects is, you know, remains to be seen. It's probably, it's probably not a ton, right? Because like these projects take a while to get going, but you'll start to see the, you'll see the stirrings and the rumblings and the preparation and, you know, a lot of exciting announcements and, you know, partnerships being formed and, um, projects being identified and that kind of thing. Um, I would look probably to more to like 2023 and 2024 to see like a huge spike in um, earth being moved. Um, but so that that's kind of the answer on some of like the federal and state grant programs that we're looking to see increase a lot. Um, mm -hmm on the just the general question of how are short lines going to do as an industry in 2022 um you know like my crystal ball for the economy is no better than anybody else's but um we're optimistic to do well right uh, you know i mean it, it's it's 600 different short lines out there but everyone kind of wakes up every day worrying about the existing customers they have and thinking about how do I get one more, right? How do I get one more carload, one more new customer, a higher percentage of market share? And they just go out and they kind of relentlessly like beat the bushes on that kind of stuff. And some of them are really kind of creative and innovative projects and coming up with new markets and new products to move and new partnerships. And some of them are just like, do the basics well, right? Like serve your customer, show up on time, pick up the phone when they're unhappy about something, um, be friendly, <laughs> you know, um, partner with your class one, like be consistent and reliable. Um, and so, you know, it's, you combine those 600 efforts like every day, every week, and hopefully it adds up to something good across the industry. You know, for most of them, kind of like the overall, how's the economy gonna do and overall how the industry is gonna do is sort of kind of like beyond their pay grade, right? Like what they worry about is how, how are they gonna move their trains tomorrow and how are they gonna serve their customer tomorrow and how do we get kind of one more customer, right? So most right. of them are pretty head down, like focused on, do a great job in my in you know in the two small communities that I serve. All right, Chuck. Anything else you want to add? I do appreciate your time and your insight is, is always as great as always. Anything you need to add? Any other challenges out there? Shortliners are really facing. Um, you know the 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 labor shortage and the the challenge in getting people. I, I will say historically. That's never something I heard from short lines, um, even in the past, um, even in the past when maybe, you know, you would have heard a concern about difficulty in finding people from a class or our class one friends, our short lines had been like, well, you know, we're, we need fewer people. Our jobs are local. People get to sleep in their own bed at night. We kind of have a family atmosphere in our local community and we're able to get what we need. I'll say over the last couple months, I've heard more concern than I've ever heard before about 
difficulty in retaining people and difficulty in getting new people, um, especially the more junior kind of uh, lower paying roles. Um, you know, just a lot of competition for those types of people with warehouses and distribution facilities and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, that's a big concern. There's no magic bullet. It's, again, it's kind of 600 short lines solving that problem day by day and community by community. But, you know, they're going out and they're doing job fairs and they're posting jobs and they're raising wages when they need to and um, recruiting among friends and family. But it's a it's a real challenge for people right now. And short lines are not alone. It seems like uh, there's a lot of uh, sectors in the economy that are experiencing what that labor shortage, you know, and it, it just seems like society has a different attitude, um, you know, with, with COVID playing out about work and whatnot. So, I mean, do you see the labor shortage becoming a problem over the years uh, because of just the stance from a lot of people out there or could this be more of a short time, hopefully a short term issue? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, yeah, we hope it's a short term issue. I, I would say, regardless of whether economy wide, regardless of whether this is short term or long term, you know, like the short lines are not going to, they're going to try to solve this problem on their own, regardless of whether economy wide this is short-term or long-term. So they'll do what they need to do to get people and to be able to move trains and serve their customers and grow. So they'll figure out, you know, they'll figure out ways to do it. Um, but it, it's um, hopefully the, the edge gets taken off the, the, the intensity of the problem. Cause right now it's a real challenge. Do you know the last time if there was a labor issue in the short line industry? I, I mean, I've only been doing this for 17 years, but I've never, before the last six months, I don't think yeah. I had fielded a single call ever from a short line about inability to find people that they needed. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... I probably don't have the historical scope by myself to say like this is the first time ever, but it's the first time right. that I'm, I'm aware of that this has been a challenge. Oh yeah, you you go back 17 years. That still is a pretty significant time frame there. So yeah, um, and then changing the subject, the the other kind of thing I'd mention more exciting than a challenge is kind of environmental issues. Um, it's a, you know, climate change and environmental sustainability and railroad kind of role in that has been, obviously that issue has been around for years, but I'm sure I'm not making any unique observation when I, you know, when I point out that it's been really risen to kind of front page of every paper in the world type issue, you know, this year, it feels like. Um, and short lines are, I, I think, really excited about sort of both aspects of that. On one hand, we're excited about telling the story more aggressively than ever about like 
how how good of a solution freight rail is for that issue kind of right now, right? That we're four times, um, three to four times as efficient as our competition on on the road. You know, every mode, every ton of freight that moves by rail instead of truck saves 75% on greenhouse gas emissions. There's almost 500 miles, ton miles per gallon of diesel, you know, all the stats that you see all the time. So we're, we're excited about telling that story and short lines are telling that story more and more to their customers and finding customers are more and more interested in it. Um, but then we're also excited about the sort of accepting the challenge of what can we do to get better, right? That, you know, just because we're good right now doesn't mean that we can just rest on those laurels and tell that same story forever. Um, so whether it's, you know, starting to experiment with hydrogen fuel cell locomotives or battery electric locomotives or putting biodiesel in their trains or, um, you know, better fuel management systems or um, injector sets on your locomotives or better track lubrication and, or, you know, installing LED lights in your short line rail yards you know, all these kind of small ball incremental improvements, you know, they add up and short lines are, um, you know, they're small companies and they don't have, a lot of them don't have like VPs of sustainability and environmental officers, but they're all interested in kind of day by day getting a little bit better on that front. And I think we're excited to see what all that adds up to over time. Do you think the Build Back Better legislation, because I know it, it does contain environmental climate issues and resolutions, do you think that's going to help your cause if it does get passed? Well, um, you know, I'll say, well, so first I'll say the infrastructure bill that already is passed, um, there are some provisions in that that uh, open the door for some kind of environmental type things. Like for instance, in Chrissy, one of the eligibilities now is to um, improve or replace old locomotives uh, with cleaner locomotives or cleaner engines. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's stuff that already has passed. And, and I'll say, you know, whether it's Chrissy, Ray's, Infra, the grade separation program, Anything that this administration has discretion on, they're going to be very focused on making sure those projects are uh, environmental benefits, too, in addition to freight and kind of economic benefits. Right. Um, but, yeah, to answer your the actual question you asked, I, I do think that BVB will, will kind of advance the ball on environmental initiatives kind of across the whole economy. There, there's nothing in BV that's freight rail or short line specific. Um, and we haven't asked for anything like that, but there right. are things in there that would, for instance, like support alternative fuel development. There's programs in there, you know, tax credits that would support biodiesel and renewable diesel uh, production. There's 
you know, and some railroads can use some of that biodiesel in their locomotives um, and more will over time. There's, um, there's huge incentives in there, for instance, for um, wind power. And there's quite a few short lines that move wind turbine blades. Okay. So there's, um, you know, so there, there are provisions in that bill that will affect short lines in a positive way uh, on the environmental front, even though there's nothing like, you know, there's no like short line railroad environmental provision. So that was Chuck Baker from the short line industry. And now we're gonna shift gears and move over to the cross tie industry and talk about the market for 2021 and 2022 with Nate Irby. How are things going this year for the market? How would you describe it? I will, I'd say cautiously optimistic. And, and I wanna be clear and qualified that we've got some great markets for our hardwood sawmills right now. Now, now ties, wood ties may not be the the leader in that market, but as you well know, uh, we need a healthy supply chain, and all links of the supply chain need to be healthy for this whole thing to work. And so, while we're encouraged by the health of the mills, I, I will have some. I will say that some of our producers. Wish they were getting some more wood ties cut for them. I was recently at a sawmill meeting uh, down in the Gulf Coast, and a lot of big and small producers were there. It's a club meeting, Southwest Hardwood Club. And so we had producers, sawmills, uh, kind of the whole gamut. We had some pallet folks. And I love it when the market is is good for them. Again, I, I'm a little bit biased in that I wish it was a little bit better for ties or more tie production was occurring. But I, I like to go to those meetings when the market is good because it gives me a good sense of the health of the business. Now, we're all experiencing supply chain disruptions, you know, workforce turnover, workforce instability, uh, trucking issues, all the gamut that we're having to just you know, bear and hope we get things that we need when we need them. But otherwise, things are good. They could be better. So what about, because it seems like, like you said, um, sawmills are not putting ties, you know, really close to the priority list because, you know, they can get more of a premium for hardwood flooring and, and, and other, other needs there. Um, when do you think that might change is it going to change soon or is it going to stay uh you know these guys are going to take advantage of of, of areas where they can make just make more money that's the four hundred thousand dollar question so with some of the producers that had stood up and and gave a roundtable discussion at that meeting uh do think that this is going to be a prolonged uh market swing in favor of lumber and of course the pallet business has been uh, it's, it, it's obviously tied to the economy, but we've seen some spikes in certain spotty areas with pallet pricing being even higher than, than grade lumber pricing. So with what I think is going to occur, and again, this is Nate Irby's opinion, we, we have those bread and butter type producers that every log that comes into their sawmill 
they're going to box heart a tie out of the center of that log. And then any jacket boards that are uh, accumulated, they, they're able to move every, basically everything that they're cutting, they're able to move. And so we're going to have a steady as she goes scenario with those true industrial sawmills that are day in, day out, solid producers for cross ties and some of these grade lumber mills that have switched over and cutting predominantly grade lumber, we're going to be able to get what we can get. And most of that would be switch ties because they cut the longer length material because, again, they're better suited to cut grade lumber. And so they're in the 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 type foot increments on their log supply anyway. I think as we get into understanding what this winter is going to look like, because so far, knock on wood, we've had a relatively dry winter so far, fall, excuse me, going into winter. And so a lot of our southern producers are very flush on log supply, which is great. I think we'll, we'll depending on uh, the severity of the winter or not, I think as we get into the spring, I think we're going to have more of those grade mills uh find that flooring producers or flooring warehousers purchasers excuse me uh are going to become a little bit more flush on inventory and that's going to give rise to more cross tie production again Nate's Nate's opinion of what I see out there and based on the cyclical rotations we've gone through with this marketing uh of the hardwood market excuse me uh if the weather's dry some of these hardwood players tend to overproduce on some of those price premium products, and then it brings things back down into equilibrium. So what's 2022 look like? Uh, is there any is there any sign of of any kind of change, major change, or is it kind of kind of be riding this tide that you're riding on right now? That's a good point. It's I, I see it as steady as she goes. The saving grace here, Bill, is going to be the fact that some of our class ones reported at the RTA's annual meeting in St. Louis, our purchasing forum, reported that some of their wood tie programs may be down a little bit going in to 22. And so that coupled with uh, good but not great wood tie, wood cross tie production, I think we'll find that there won't be too much burden uh, on the system with that that hopefully normalization and so again producers want more ties but i think we've got uh, a solid supply and and maintaining a positive note that i think uh coupled with railroad perhaps wood tie demand being down a touch going into next year i don't think we'll be in a panic situation and so that kind of gives rise or qualifies my statements kind of be steady as she goes so what are the challenges in the industry right now? I, mean, I know the, the labor market um, is a challenge. Maybe you can comment on that. And is there any other challenges that the industry is facing? Yeah, so, you know, and, and I think a lot of those uh, general comments on labor shortages, trucking shortages, and then parts and equipment shortages. So at the Hardwood Club meeting I was recently at, saw blades are three to four months out. The problem there was people anticipated a shortage and so a lot of sawmills are hoarding blades that they normally wouldn't just because they anticipated a shortage. 
and over-ordered last year uh, just because they anticipated a potential shortcoming. I think the key thing that that folks, not necessarily from a a, 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 a 5,000-foot perspective looking back down, we've got a lot of hardwood sawmills that converted to cutting pine and softwoods during the first initial, and even before, but mainly uh, started in the initial throes of the pandemic, in that pine prices were going outrageous based on the lackluster supply, and then folks were at home, and home projects were booming. And so we had several hardwood sawmills convert to pine and some of that pine, I just talked to the hardwood market report two days ago, some of that pine production still hasn't come back to predominant hardwood production. So you've got these age-old, multi-generational sawmills that up until last year only cut pine when they couldn't get hardwood logs enough to suit their production schedules that as of last year, converted some of their production, as much as 50% of their production scheme over to pine, that still haven't converted back to hardwood. And so you've got an overall uh, depression in the amount of hardwood throughput that's actually being produced today. And so that's something that as we see uh, marginalized hardwood output, with that pine uh, movement, hopefully it diminishes as we get into the right sizing of the species mix as your Home Depots and your Lowe's and your other big box producers catch back up on pine supply. You see it on the shelves. If you go in those facilities, you see those pine prices starting to normalize we have for the last three or four months now but there's still some niche products out there that tomorrow sawmills that were traditionally hardwood only are still able to find markets for some pine and it's good business for them bill in that pine is easier to get you can get it most of the year whereas hardwoods really are in your drier summer early fall months and so some blend of, of production, I think, will prevail. Now, that's not all bad. We've got some uh, advantage there in that we've, we've got hardwood producers that, that can not only survive uh, in those times when it's hard to get hardwood logs, but they have the ability uh, to cut both species. And again, it's not all bad. It's just something to consider as we continue into dealing with the post-pandemic or however you want to look at it, issues with workforce, supply chain of parts and machines, and then, you know, things like trucking and other spotty things that seem to be uh, in disruption because of the aforementioned. Has the supply chain been a big problem with you guys? Um, I mean, everyone's having problems with the supply chain, but has it been above and beyond a problem for you guys or you're experiencing what everyone else is experiencing. We're experiencing what others are experiencing, but I will tell you, supply chains aren't shutting the mills down. Labor is what is keeping the mills from running as many hours as the mills would like. 
again, it all feeds into the 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 situation where these hardwood producers could have outproduced their markets in the grade lumber and flooring and pallet, et cetera, but they, they simply couldn't because they couldn't run two shifts. They could run one shift because they had enough labor. And also they considered the fact that if I do run out of fresh saws, I won't be able to produce. So I can stay scale back just from that perspective alone, and I'll feel good about good and comfortable, have a warm and fuzzy about I'm not overusing my equipment, so I won't be completely uh, down and out if something goes wrong because I'm not able to outproduce myself. So labor is what has kept main, most of the sawmills scaled back. I can't say that equipment itself or the, excuse me, the supply chain constraints itself has actually kept us from producing. So two words that could describe 2022 are labor shortage. Hopefully that is a short-lived issue and the maintenance of white industry continues to thrive and carry on, business as usual. I'd like to thank Chuck Baker and Nate Irby for their contribution to this podcast. For Rail Group On Air, I'm Bill Wilson, and I will see you down the line. Mm -hmm.